and welcome to another episode of View from the Tilton Road, airing every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. I'm Kieran, your host for this episode. Joining me this week, I've got Elliot, Dan and also joining us, former Blues manager Lee Clark. Lee, thanks for your time. How are you? Very good, Kieran. Uh, thanks for having us on. Um, so, yeah, let's let's crack on and see what we can come up with. <laughs> yeah, plenty of stuff to talk about, I'm sure. Obviously, main thing you're on for is to talk about the Blues, but we will obviously touch on your playing career first of all. Obviously, you started out with your boyhood club, Newcastle. Just talk to us a bit about what that was like coming through there at a young age and starting out at the, at the club you've always supported. Well, I suppose it's like anybody. I mean, you guys... Or blue noses. If you's had the opportunity to represent Birmingham City, it would be a dream come true. You'd be living the dream. That's what happened with me. Um, you know, to make me debut at seventeen and then be part of uh, a group of players in an era where, you know, without going on to win something big in terms of the Premier League or a big cup competition, uh, one of the best times in Newcastle's history with the because we were always challenging to win the Premier League. Um, I think in the five or six seasons we worked under Kevin in the Premier League, we finished sixth once and we were all gutted. So, uh, yeah, we were, it, it was living the dream. And then obviously to end my career back there as well, after a couple of moves was it, it, a really terrific way for the, the playing side to, to start and finish. So, yeah, that side of it, um, you know, re- really positive. And, and, I take a lot of positivity that I wasn't someone who was always looking to move around as well. I only had the three clubs as a player and, um, you know, was was were, were successful in different periods with them and, and loyal to those clubs. You um, you played with some great players back then, didn't you? You, you were playing with Rob Lee and uh, Gary Speed, God, God bless him. And, um, yeah, you, you had a really good side back then with Newcastle, didn't you? Listen, we had some sensational footballers. You know, you've you've just mentioned a couple there. Then you've got your David Batties, your David Janolas, your Peter Beardsleys, um, your Andy Coles, your Alan Shearers, your Les Ferdinands. Um, you know, your Faustino Ospreya, Philippe Albert, Steve Howie. Um, you know, just rattle them all off all the time. Michael Owen, even though Michael didn't have a particularly good time at Newcastle, I think uh, was a choice that he didn't really uh, want to make. He wanted to go back to Liverpool. I think he's made that clear in in, in the media since it's happened, since he stopped. But, you know, some unbelievable footballers and uh, great lads as well. And the, the one thing that obviously you say you only played for three clubs, one of them was actually Newcastle's biggest rivals as well. Just talk to us about that switch, how that came about, and obviously your thoughts when you made the move. Um, well, it was um, the previous season um, was that we uh, I decided uh, that I was leaving um, and I, I wanted to go. There was a spell where I'd, I'd done really well in the team and Kenny Dagley should come in and I got on really well with Kenny uh, and took over from Kevin and the club had offered us and Kenny had sanctioned it a new five-year contract but you know as I said there was there was so much competition for places um, and I'd done really well in this month um, you know we'd gone to uh, we'd won the FA Cup replay against Charlton where me and Shearer had scored and we beat them 2-1 we went to uh, Villa Park and uh, beat Villa 2-0 uh, me and uh, Shira scored, I think, again then, and then went down to Southampton and we drew 2 2. Um, myself and Les Ferdinand scored. So I was on a run as well of not just good performances, I was putting goals in. And then uh, we had a quarter final FA Cup tie against Forest, and a few players came back from injury, and I was the player left out, and I made the decision then, which was in the January, that it was time to move on. And uh, I had the chance, well, my ex-teammate Paul Bracewell was now assistant manager at Sunderland with Peter Reid and uh, they contacted us to see if I'd be interested in the January. They were really struggling at the bottom end of the Premier League and I said, no, I wanted to see the season out in Newcastle and then decide my future in the summer. So stayed at Newcastle. We finished second again in the Premier League and um, 
you know, then, you know, the conscious decision turned down the contract offer from Newcastle and, and decided to move on. Spoke to Celtic and Rangers, um, spoke to uh, Manchester City, Derby County, um, you know, um, Everton and, and Villa, you know, and um, so uh, under Brian Little and then and, and John Gregory. So it was, uh, you know, and then Sunderland were the last club and, I, when I went into the meeting, I I said to Peter Reid, "Listen, I come out with respect. There's no chance you're going to be uh, getting us to sign a contract." And after four bottles of pink champagne late, I'd signed a five-year deal. So, <laughs> but on the serious side of it, it was I was I was still young. My wife was from Newcastle. We just had our first child. Um, he was only two at the time, and we were you know settled in the northeast. And that was a big factor as well. And plus the fact that we're moving. Yeah. And I got the impression Peter Reed was a similar character to Kevin Keegan. And uh, that proved to be the case. So I've had two brilliant years. Yeah. And then, obviously, like you say, Fulham was your other club. Again, good couple of years there from, I mean, I think... You was playing for Fulham at the time. I really started to follow football, and I always remember the the Fulham shirt, white with the one black sleeve. I'm pretty sure he was there for that season, and, and like I say, you ended back up at, at Newcastle again. Then going into your, your managerial career, you, you took over at Huddersfield, um, and obviously you guided them to to two playoff finals and a and a record unbeaten run. Just talk to us about your time there. Obviously, that that unbeaten run and, and the the feeling that was in and around the, the squad and, and the management team at that time. No, we what we done is we went into a football club, and I was lucky the the owner was a Huddersfield fan. He'd become successful in his personal and you know uh, life and uh, done well in business, and uh, he wanted to do something, and he decided to buy his local football club, and I was his first appointment. And, you know the good thing for me it could be a good and a bad thing it, it didn't resemble a football club the manager's office at the stadium was just a, a basic office white walls there's no indication that there was anything to do with football our training facility was a couple of higher pitches by the local university where the you know the standard of the pitch wasn't great and the facilities the couple of porter cabins that we got changed in weren't particularly endearing uh, but we changed the mindset we got we, we targeted young, hungry players in the first few transfer windows. And then after that, got a bit of experience. And what we've done, we built a football club, we built a recruitment team and department. Uh, we earmarked a training facility, which is now, you know, top class Premier League facility since I've been back. Um, and, and what we've done, we had, we had a good team on the pitch, but we had added value off it. There was no players for sale when we walked in the door. They had one signing that 250,000 by Gary Roberts from Ipswich Town. At the time, Gary would have probably got you half of the money back. You know, the team wasn't playing particularly well. He wasn't firing all cylinders. But then we got players in. We got uh, Lee Peltier, 75,000 uh, from Yeovil, who eventually went to Leicester City for 1.2 million. We got uh, Anthony Pilkington from Stockport for 200,000. And I sold to Norwich actually with it with a dislocated and broken ankle when they were in the Premier League for three and a half million and I probably would have got seven or eight um, if he hadn't been going there with the injury. And obviously Jordan Rhodes that we ended up, once they got promoted, I think his fee went up to 800,000 who they sold to Blackburn for 11 and a half million. So they were just a couple. We had Alex Smith, he's the goalkeeper, we had, uh, who came through the academy and we sold, giving his debut. Jack Hunt, a full-back, who actually gave his first game to down at the Emirates in the FA Cup against the likes of the Fabregas and Van Persies of this world and uh, was outstanding. So, yeah, there was, we, we yeah, we not only built a good team, next eight and team added value to it and um, the club just took off. And as you say, losing semi finalists the first season to a good Millwall team and then, you know, lost, you know, disappointingly in the final to Peterborough the following year and then. The following season in third place with two games in hand. If we'd have won those, would have went top of the table. Lost my position at the club. So um, it's uh, great times. Still speak with the owner now. Um, you know, fantastic club. Really enjoyed it. 
And as you say, 43 games unbeaten, beat uh, the late great Brian Clough's record by one game. And for anybody to go through that long length of time without losing a football match is a phenomenal achievement. So, yeah, really proud of that one. Yeah, and like you say, obviously that incredible achievement. Um, just talk us through the, the obviously the, the disappointments you suffered in the playoffs. Obviously, like you say, um, twice in there and, and, and both times um, failed to go up. What was the what was the feeling in and around the dressing room after the, the first time round? And how did you how did you pick the players up after that? Well, the first one, to be honest with you, was, as like I said to you, we had a strategy in the transfer market, which was backed by a strong owner, and I knew where we were going, and I was allowed to strategically do this. And what I'd done in the first couple of transfer windows, I'd bought young, up-and-coming, hungry players. So we earmarked them. So we had a really young team, and... Millwall at the time had a very, very, with the opposite end of the scale, very experienced, very physical, Kenny Jacket, experienced manager in those positions. So even though we're really disappointed over the two legs, I think we lost 2 0 on aggregate or 2 1. Um, I knew I knew what we needed to do to, to add to the group. And that had been earmarked in any way in our recruitment process because, the first, as I said, the first two or three windows was young, hungry, up-and-coming players. Then the next one or two windows was going to be adding a bit more experience, but still with quality. And um, and we've done that. And so even though it was massive disappointment, it wasn't as, as bad as people made out because obviously we'd realised where we were in the journey. We'd realised um, what we'd come up against. We'd come up against the toughest opponent. Um but uh, so we knew what we had to do to, um, to to progress. And listen, the bottom line is, and I'll say this, and it's easy for us to say because no one can prove it. Um, we, uh, I lost Anthony Pilkington to his dislocation and fractured ankle in the February in, when we beat Rochdale on a Tuesday night. And if he had been fit for the rest of the season... We wouldn't have needed the playoffs. I think uh, we finished third on a record number of, I think had something like 90 points, 91 points and didn't get automatic promotion. So we, um, we if I had, he was the best player in the league by, by a million miles at the time. And uh, if he had kept him fit, we wouldn't have needed the playoffs. But unfortunately in a one-off game, um, you know, we'd always had tough encounters against Peterborough the second time round. Um, we didn't really produce on the day and we didn't have any luck. They scored a goal and then they scored a fluky second goal from a free click, free kick that got deflected off the top of the wall within a minute. And then we were chasing the game. So, But we rebuilt again and we were going again. We were going strong. But uh, unfortunately, the owner decided to to make a change. Yeah. Well, I'll let Dan have the next question. Um Obviously, I think a lot of Huddersfield fans would say that you, you were successful there. I know despite, you know, what we're talking about, you know, not quite making it in the playoffs, you know, with that record, which I'm sure still stands now in the league. And what what finally, or what lured you to Birmingham? And and when you, before you went in, was you aware of like the size of the task? No, because I'd, I'd had lengthy conversations with my predecessor and Chris Hutton. Chris had put me in strongly for the job and I'd had many conversations both on the phone and face-to-face and we talked through uh, the strengths and weaknesses of the group and and what was ahead. Um, Chris did say that there could be one or two financial issues. He didn't realise how bad they were himself um, and I absolutely didn't. When I obviously had the couple of meetings with the club, the first one was a, like an interview where I obviously passed that and then they wanted to speak to me with regarding the job and what my thoughts were. Um, all the indications were I could go out and strengthen the group and really push for top quality players to, to carry on the good work Chris had achieved the season before getting into the playoffs. So I was excited. I was an opportunity to manage a really big club, passionate fans, great facilities and uh, to get a chance to... Um, take it into the Premier League if I got the right signings right to go with the players who were already there so and that 
so I took over on the July the 1st and within about, we went to uh, Austria for pre-season and on, when we came back from there, the list of players that I'd given them to go and sign was just basically ripped up and I was told that uh, the funds were dramatically being cut and the budget was getting ripped up that had been said we were going to have and it was getting reduced dramatically and um, and then obviously the news came out that Carson was under house arrest his assets were getting frozen so we went from a club that really was really wanting to go and push and carry on the good work of the previous manager and even try and get in automatic positions where we were then trying to help survive and because of the way the finances were, uh, start getting put under transfer embargoes, um, which proved really difficult. And then having to sell the players that I didn't want to sell to keep the club going. And that was obviously the Jack Butlins and the Nathan Redmonds of this world because I wanted to build a team around those young players. Yes, if the club never got promoted within a period of time, we knew we would have to sell those lads because they were special talents. But they were, they were local lads. They loved the club. And they were prepared if they could see uh, improvement in, an, in ambition to get out. They would have hung around. So that was, um, you know, that that was the difficult one for me. But you still, as the manager, had to still keep the expectation. And I was never, you know, unhappy with the fans' expectation. They they were a brilliant part of the club. I never wanted to dampen their expectation, but I couldn't come out and and, and basically tell them the reality, of the situation. Um, an example of of the, the scenarios I was working on that was Ashley Westwood, the midfield players now with Burnley, um, with the contacts we had. Um, we had a really strong contact with Swansea at the time. Swansea were Premier League. My head of recruitment, Malcolm Crosby, knew their head of recruitment really strong from that Middlesbrough connection. And Swansea were going to buy Ashley Westwood from Crew for, you know, couple of million pounds but they felt at that time he wasn't ready for the Premier League and they wanted him to make the jump from crew to to the Premier League by in between that and playing in the championship for a club like Birmingham that you know you're under pressure by the size of the club and the fans so we'd agreed a deal that once they assigned him we would take him on a season long loan and only have to pay which was you know in our remit and in our level of pay at that time was £5,000 a week so when I made the phone call to Hong Kong to ask Peter Pano and Carson Young if we could do the deal, I was basically told that there was no money in the coffers to do it. And then within an hour of that phone call being made, I was this Carson and Peter were on the phone again to tell me would I like to take Jimmy and Jenison and Herelia Gomez from Tottenham on loan for a combined uh, um, salary contribution of 30000 a week. So within a couple of hours... Couldn't buy bring a player in I wanted for five thousand, and they were trying to get me to to get two players, uh, you know, for thirty thousand. One, Herelia Gomez, and I explained that I had Jack Butland, who was going to be my number one, and the feedback was, well, just make him your number two. The reason Herelia Gomez wanted to leave Spurs was because he was number two. So here I'm going to give myself a headache by bringing him in, and Jermaine is someone I respected a huge amount from his time at Newcastle. Uh, a fantastic footballer, but was coming at the end of a glorious career and was picking up lots of injuries at the time. So, and it didn't make sense. And so, for one, and I think when you look at it, the core light of day is the reason Ashley Westwood didn't come was because they didn't know Ashley Westwood because he was coming from Crow Alexandra. But the new Jimmy and Jenison and Herelia Gomez, and it was lighting them up, and they could find the 30,000 a week to to bring those two players in, or they probably couldn't, they probably would have done it and we would have probably, you know, made the position even worse by what happened after that, rather than bringing in a player who would have, who would have done a really good job for us um, on, you know, a sixth of that um, payment. So that was an example. Another one was Carson every Friday would send his team through to my PA that he would like to be picked for the Saturday game. And... Uh, that would be shredded within seconds and put in the bin because actually, if you speak to the players, I always probably named the team uh, on the on the Thursday or Friday. And anyway, the only time I named it on the day of the game was if we had any issues with regarding players with little niggly injuries and we had to wait up until the last minute. Most of the time, the preparation work had been done through the week. 
but it was funny because we used to, I used to laugh with my PA when she used to come and knock on my door on a Friday afternoon when I was sitting in there and we'd just have a little giggle and have a look at what team he was expecting us to put out and all. It was, and then we'd, I'd just ask her to put the uh, piece of paper in the shredder. So <laughs> that's, you know, sometimes that, that is stuff that you kind of come out with at the time, but you haven't to wear. Uh, you having to work under those. I mean, the, the British like admin, administration team, jo, Joanne Alsop, Julia, Julia Shelton, fantastic people. They kept the club afloat. They kept us abreast of everything that was going on, you know, explaining the embargo. So, for example, if I was letting a player go who was on £10,000 a week, hypothetically, I could bring a replacement in, but they could only cost the club 7500 so I couldn't bring a player in on the same amount of money or more money. It had to be less than for what they were going out. And it was like one for one. Or if I got two out, I could bring two in. But for combined less fees than the two salaries that we were moving out of the club. And that's the way it had to work. And then obviously, I only I, um, the two players I paid any money for in my time at the club was one, Paul Caddis. We paid a nominal fee for Paul Um which, because I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, try, I forced the club's hand. I was desperate to get Paul in, and then obviously David Davis, because we saw Tom Adiemi on the day before the season started for a, a huge amount of uh, profit, because we'd we'd got Tom unbelievably on a free transfer from Norwich, a kid I knew from the youth ranks there, and then a year later, two nights before our first game up at Middlesbrough, and I was having dinner uh, with Panos Pavlakis. He just said basically, listen, Lee, we've agreed a fee with Carter for Tom Adiemi, um, well of in excess of a million. Uh, so that was a good profit on Tom because he wasn't picking up a huge salary either. And I just had to say, listen, Panos, you need you need to give us fine if there's any way there's any of that funds I can get. And I, I think they end up giving us one hundred and fifty thousand of that to go and buy David Davis from from Mulls. So. Uh, those were the two players and then obviously having to loan a lot of players and uh, you know trusting the the academy boys the local lads which were a big bonus for me they they kept us going through some tough periods I think the uh, I think the question that a lot of Blues fans would want to know is the 2013-14 season it was it was chaotic wasn't it for yourself I can imagine because first half of the season we had quite a few different players to what we did in the second half of the season um, and it all came down to the last day <laughs> and I don't think we'll ever forget it because I think I was blubbering like a baby for about 80 minutes off the game <laughs> well, well, it, ended up, it ended up being a, a, a fairy story didn't it at the end and it's something you could never have predicted 96 minutes um, the smallest player on the pitch getting the goal that kept the club in the league but Going back to how you start the question, you were you absolutely spot on. That the, the first group of loan signings we made were, were terrific. Jesse Lingard. I mean, I'm sitting watching Jesse last night, and it brought back the memories of his debut for us, and he scored four and the exciting goals and player he was for us. Obviously, Kyle Bartley. Um, we had on loan Dan Byrne. Him and Dan provided a fantastic central defensive partnership. Strong, good balance, left and right footed. We had Aaron McLean, who was more of a squad player, but done a great job across any positions on the front line. And if you remember, we played Barnsley um, on the New Year's Day and Drew at St Andrews. And that had made our, we went on a 10 game unbeaten run. I think we went five wins and five draws in that period. And we got ourselves into about 738 position, about three or four points out of the playoffs. And I remember sitting there to him and just having a bite eating a glass of beer and Julia Shelton rang us up and said Lee are you sitting down I says yeah what's up she said I've had all of the clubs on they're recalling their players who are on loan so every single loan player we had that done a terrific job for us in the first uh, half of that season the clubs had exercised that week clause there was a week in January of all those signings where the clubs could recall them and they recalled every player back and I had to one you know, try and find another group of loan signings that could do the, the fantastic job that the first group had done. And two, I had to do it quickly because we had a game coming up in three or four days. And as we know, 
We brought some exciting players in, but some of them are on their first loans, which are always difficult. And others need a bit more time to gel. And uh, the second group of loan players weren't as effective as a group or in, in, in gelling with the team. They were still talented individuals, but it didn't uh, work as well. And you obviously tumbled down the league. And as you say, came to the, um, the very famous uh, visit to Bolton Wanderers. So um, just going through that day, what were the with with the emotions? What were the emotions? What were you feeling before the game? <clears throat> well, it's weird, and I think a lot of people don't really believe is when I say it. But you know, we travelled up to Bolton the night before. We had the meeting with the players, then I had a meeting with the staff, uh, and then I just said, "Listen, you know, choose what you want to do. If you want to go and relax in your room and chill out, and just don't don't." Don't think about football if you if you we're going to go and watch. Uh, there was a sports part of the uh, hotel. We go in there. There was a live match on. We go in there and have a couple of beers to chill. We didn't do that. Just everyone stay. Whatever you do, just you know, just chill out. Don't don't. The game will take care of itself. Woke up the next morning, was really relaxed and first. Just had this feeling that um, the lads were. We're ready. We're going to deliver the staff. That you know, we were all. I could sense the, the the determination. I could. Sorry, they got me. Sorry, I lost you there. I was getting a call, and um, and and what I'd done is leading up to the game. And I thought, you know, I'm, I was always thinking how you could change the mindset of the players, how you could do something a bit different. And what I've done is leading up to the game, I spoke to the staff and I got my analyst staff in and I, and I got my PA in and I says, I want us to get a hold of all the family members of each player, the mums or the dads or the wives and the, or the girlfriends or the, and the children, the brothers and the sisters, and get them to, to put them together on camera and just put some messages on there. And I didn't purposely didn't watch it. I, I just said, cut it, how you're doing it. And some of the staff watched it, and I said, what's it like? And they said, you'll be astounded by it. So I purposely didn't watch it. I went. I wanted to watch it when the players did, which was our last meeting after our pre-match meal at the hotel before we left to go to the, the, the ground. And... Uh, Put the start of the video. I just said, lads, listen, got some special, got some messages and want some, some footage for you to watch. So we've done our couple of minutes of work where we showed them the footage of what we're, we're about, the tactical stuff, the set players, etc. And then I put this this footage on of their families, their kids, and uh, the room just went quiet. Could have heard a pin drop and the motion in the room, the the the, the tears in the eyes because. You know the the families seeing how proud they were of the lads and just give it one more go and you know they were playing for a brilliant club and brilliant fans and the motion in the room was you could cut it with a knife it was you know it it, it done the job I could tell and uh, you know the the atmosphere as we left was just completely different was you know I, I could sense and I thought the lads played well in the game well another story leading up to that when away from home is a bit different. When you're in the dressing room, it's home games. You've got your own office. You can go in and chill out, have a cup of tea, watch the live game that's on previous or whatever. And uh, but away, you're obviously stuck in the dressing room, and you know. So when the players went out, I was in in there on my own. So just a bit of me time, and um, I just sent my wife and children, who who was ended up being a long text to say thank them for their support, and I was going to give. I've done all the preparation and, you know, we're, we're going to give it everything for the next 94, 95 minutes. I feel strong and I've got good belief in the players. I had a good feeling and I sent that and got some nice words back from from my wife and children. So we went out and uh, I thought we played well. They had a couple of chances and scored and we're 2-0 down. Uh, Doncaster are getting the positive result at Leicester and we're staring down the barrel. And I remember turning to Martin Crosby who I'd brought in for the last few games for his experience and, and uh, you know, in management, etc. And I just said to Malcolm that uh, we're going to do this. And he must have, he agreed, he nodded his head, but I think in, in reality, he must have thought this fell as a cracker because I think we had about 25 minutes to go. But I just had, I didn't I didn't have any fears. I, I knew, I thought. And then obviously there's, we got the 2-1. The result um, came through that, 
Leicester were winning. And, uh, you know, is there no other, you know, the rest's history. I mean, another line to that was I'd worked with Nigel Pearson at Newcastle. I'd got a really strong friendship with Nigel. He was manager of Leicester City, who were playing Doncaster. Uh, Nigel had worked with Paul Dickoff as well at the club, and Paul was an ex Leicester player. And what Nigel had done in the week, they had already gone up as champions. And Nigel said, Listen, lads, I think the world of you both is a cracking lads. I've worked with you in different quarters, managed you, Paul, worked with you, Lee. My team's going to give it everything to win the game. I'm not, we've won the league, but we're just going to, we're going to go out and treat it like every game. I'm not, we're not resting anybody. We're not this, we're not that. And that was brilliant from him. I couldn't, you know, he couldn't have done any more if his players took a foot off the gas. There was nothing he could have done because he he was demanding that they didn't. And thankfully, his players and him, you know, not that I doubted it, I knew what type of man he was. Um, they stuck to to their side of the bargain, and, and we had to do ours. And as I said, um, when Jeff Stelling, I think that they brought the live cameras to us because we went into the ninety fourth, ninety fifth, ninety sixth minute of injury time and for that to happen and then seeing the uh the, the, the crazy manager running down the touchline it was uh it, i think it made for for it was probably one of the best soccer saturday moments i think for them you never yeah. lost your post did you <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't lose you can't lose what you never had <laughs> <laughs> At least I, I know one thing. I was quicker than Barry. Barry Fry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned the the soccer Saturday coverage on on that day because I, I remember and um, and we spoke to um to Paul Robinson previously, and I, I said I, I remember when on that day and I was watching it. I had a bet on with it. I, mean, I think I had Leicester to win and I had Blues to 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 win or draw. Um, and I was watching it on my phone and. And it'd come up saying that we'd equalise, but it hadn't come up on a, on Soccer Saturday yet. And the missus and her family were going, we've equalised, we've equalised. And I was going, I oh, don't believe you. And then as soon as I saw Caddis head it in, I, I just charged around the house. I was going mental, I was <laughs> crying, <laughs> a bit like that. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, just, just the, and that's just as a fan, the emotion of it. So to imagine for yourself to be, to be in that moment with the players, it's just, Something you you might not ever experience again, I suppose. Well, it was it was it was pure emotion, and it was real emotion, and it was the honesty when you see us, and I'm pointing at the fans, and that was, you know, that was genuine. That was to say that was for you. We shouldn't have put you through that type of emotion in any way, but you know, thankfully you've supported the team right until the end. You know, it's called support, and that's what they've done. The you know, the huge numbers that turned out with it well and that day and we had the support and us um they got us through it. And uh, you know, that was just to say to them, thank thank you for that. Um, you know, it when you're the manager, you've got that to worry about, the reaction of the fans and the, the you know, the dedication and the support they've given you and the players and the club, but you've also got the implications if you go down. The money situation was horrendous to start with, but if you go down there was no doubt there was going to be cost cutting and who's the first people to go when there's cost cutting is the great people behind the scenes and most of those in football clubs are locals who are supporters of that club and that was certainly the case with Birmingham City the fans the the, the staff behind the scenes loved the club I used to speak to them daily basis they would reminisce about old times and what the club meant to them and and that was a big factor for me as well because it was nothing to do with myself. That was the, the least important thing of it all. The most important was, one, the club staying up and not getting itself into what I called it would have been financial Armageddon, which I believe it would have been in the League One. Two, great people behind the scenes not losing their jobs. And three, uh, and not least in that order, the, the supporters, um, you know, so not seeing their club go into League One and and. and for the support they had given us and the numbers and that day, the way they turned out and even at 2-0, still singing and still getting behind the players, no no adverse reactions, which they could easily have been. Um, they helped us immensely. I think, um, I don't think any of us will forget that day at Bolton, I think for the rest of our lives, but 
there was a, there was a couple of crazy games that season. I think I think that was the season we won four 0 at Palace, wasn't it? And I think it was that yeah. season. Yeah, I mean, I was there. I was at that game. We had, I was, it was unreal. I, mean, I even had a spare ticket. My dad turned it down. He, he still regrets that to, to this day. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, there was another crazy game. I really wanted to ask you about was that one at Yeovil um, in the cup. And when I think it was what we winning two one going into stoppage yeah. time and and they we kicked the ball out for an injury and then they didn't give the ball back and they chipped I think it was Colin Doyle at the time yeah what what happened there and and <clears throat> well two one Dan Byrne had gone down with a genuine injury um, our lads kicked it out it was coming up the seconds left the game was over and um, you know. We were expecting Yeovil to to uh, throw the ball back. It was a big centre half Webster who'd gone up as a striker, and I could hear Gary Johnson saying, "No, give it to us, give it to us." And I was trying to get a message on to Colin Doyle. There was all commotion going around because Colin started walking out as if the ball was going to come back to him. And I was trying to say to Colin, "They're not going to do it. Get back on your goal line." And in this noise, we couldn't get the message. And they took the throw and they just put the ball over the top of Colin. Um, and all our lads were waiting for them to return the ball, which has happened not 99 times out of 100. It's happened 100 times out of 100. And it was a disgrace. It was the the worst bit of sportsmanship I'd ever seen. And uh, I was absolutely livid with our manager, Gary Johnson. He tried to make out he didn't say that. He did. I was... The dugouts are very close at Yeovil, and uh, I, I understand, um, you know, what was said, and I, I, exactly clear. Thankfully, we won it on penalties, but we shouldn't have had to go down that route. And uh, you know, I gave him a piece of my mind, and it's the first time in my career, and the only time in my career, that we have never gone in we are opposite Numbers' office to have a drink with and, and, and have a chat uh, after the game. Um, win, lose or draw um, I felt I didn't want to it was not totally you know against what I was about what the game was about what I'd been brought up on what I'd seen in the past and uh, it was total carnage which could have been eradicated and I get it but 100% I've been in that position myself uh, both as a manager and a player when you're losing a game and You've got the ball, but there's been an incident and the right thing to do is to give it back to the opposition. As I said, it's not even 99 times out of 100, it's 100 times out of 100. So, uh, you know, thankfully, um, we, we got through in the end, but uh, um, I'm glad we won because, you know, when I talk, when I mentioned what I just said to you guys in the press, it wasn't sour grapes then. If we had lost the game, I still would have said the same. But it would have been brought up as sour grapes. So you, you know, when you're winning the game, when you win the game, you know, when you're making a point like that, even though everyone knew I was right, whether we won, lost, or drew, but you know, you know what it's like. The way the media would have turned things that you know sour grapes that we'd lost, and uh, thankfully we didn't. But it didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. That's for sure. They went. Uh, didn't they go three two up before they allowed us to walk the ball in? Didn't they? Yeah, some, yeah, yeah, because that's yeah. what that's what um, Gary Gary said, didn't he? Gary said, "Oh, we've allowed you to score, so that's us <laughs> apologising." Whereas you know the game would have been over and anyway. Yeah, because I think that was in normal time, wasn't it? When they got the equaliser yeah. for two two, they went up three two in extra time, and they allowed us to equalise. And I think that was him trying <laughs> to say, "Oh, we've re you know that's us apologising." I'm pretty sure I remember his comments at the time were along the lines of as well. Um, you know, yeah, it was a bit unsportsmanlike, but it, uh, people keep faking injuries here. And yeah. basically says that it happens all the time for the Oval, but uh, there's no excuse for unsportsmanlike yeah. behaviour, Sorella. Not at all. I mean, one of the things from your time at the club as well was, was there a bit of a, a fallout with, with Big Ziggy at one point? Not at all. Had a great relationship with the big man. I just had come to the end of my tether when I came out in public to say that I was disappointed in his training performances. You know, the, the big fella was unplayable when he wanted to play. And that was the problem, you know, we had with him. He didn't always want to play. <laughs> and, 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 and this day was 
just touching on what I told you earlier, we'd worked a couple of days on some formation and shape and personnel of a team and how we were going to play both for and against, both with the ball and without the ball. And on the second day, on the first day, he, he hadn't done a lot of, he hadn't showed a lot of enthusiasm. And this wasn't the first time that had happened. And then on the second day, when we continued the work, uh, leading up to the game, he done the same, and I, I wasn't having it, you know. And, and you know, people maybe thought that it was me just having to go after he'd done it the first occasion. This was this had been a build up, and you know, when I, I spoke to the senior players in the group before I'd done the press conference, I got them in the leadership group we had and explained and what their thoughts were, and they were in agreement it was the right thing to do because I tried getting them in the office, I tried on a one-to-one saying it wasn't acceptable. I said, I tried it in front of the players, the other players. And this was the last throw of the dice for me to, to try and, you know, say to them, you know, you, you're, you're, you're an important player for us and we need you to, to lead by example in everything that you do. And uh, it worked. There was, listen, it, I had to do, I felt, I, and if, if the scenario happened again, I'd do the same. I'd give it plenty of time and it could have been rectified behind the scenes. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it, it kept happening. So we had to do something else. And there was lots of opportunities. Ziggy was aware. But I had a great relationship with him. We, you know, we spoke numerous times because obviously we were trying or the big thing every window was we were having to try and offload him and I would talk with him and about, about this the situation. I knew he loved being a Birmingham City player and he loved the area. So nah, we there was no there was no fallout at all. Um in terms of that. We, we, I had a hell of a lot of respect for him and uh I, the only other disappointment I had with him was the, the famous uh day down at Bolton. He bought the beers for the journey home and he bought the cheap beers. I thought he would have bought huh? the best ones. <laughs> you lots of thought so with the money you is rumoured to be on. <laughs> I mean, one thing that obviously you always brought to the side to the touchline was, was obviously plenty of passion. We seen it on the last day at Bolton when when you uh you done your one hundred meter sprint down the line. Uh, one other thing that obviously stands out was the game against Burnley at home. <laughs> <laughs> I ruined it. I ruined, I ruined a good pair of Gucci shoes. shoes <laughs> yeah, when we, we mentioned it to um, to Robert a couple of weeks back when we spoke to him, and he says that um, you know the lads were, were saying they're giving you a bit of bit of stick in the dressing room afterwards. But it's just goes to show how much the games meant to you, I suppose, doesn't it, really? I, what it was, I, I I I don't know what had happened the previous game to that Burnley game. We played away, and I was sat up in the stands. You know, and, and we won. And I thought, I'll do it again at St Andrews. And uh, I thought we're playing well against a good Burnley team and we're getting some horrendous decisions against us by the ref. So I was while I was sitting upstairs, I was sitting with the uh, referee's assessor and these decisions were getting worse and worse. And I was saying to him, what do you think? What do you think? And he was agreeing with the ref. So I was getting myself wound up, but I couldn't do anything. So I decided to come down from the stand and uh, go into the technical area, and I just let loose, and then obviously we're three one down. What a re- I think that was one of the youngest ever starting elevens for Birmingham City. We had so many teenagers in the starting eleven that day. The Mitchell Hancock's and Callum Riley's, Will Packwood, and all these were playing. I think that day, and uh, I was getting wound up because we weren't getting the rub of the green off the officials. And then uh, obviously we went three two. Kiko Makeda. And then he scored a second one and we got a, and I went down the lane and, I, and as I started coming back to the technical area, I started booting advertising holding. So I uh, I didn't get the, the, the usual fine by getting sent off because I took me anger out on the advertising holding and I never got sent to the stands. So I didn't get fined by the FA, but the club tried to get us to pay for a new advertising holding. <laughs> But I was there. Listen, that was that was one of the standout games for me because that that Burnley team was a team that went on to get promotion again. And uh, my young players that night were excellent. As I said, I felt they weren't getting the rub of the green, but they kept fighting right until the end. And when Kiko scored that uh, equalising goal, it was the least they deserved the young players that night. I mean. 
How obviously when it came to an end at, at Blues, um, and what was it like? You know, was it, what were the the feelings for yourself around your exit at the club? But you know, did you feel you could have done more? Was you disappointed, or or did you think maybe it was the right time for a change? Or no, listen, uh, it was a very emotional time when I got summoned to St Andrews from West Hills. I'd just been prepping the team. Uh, to go up to Blackburn on the Tuesday night. It was the Monday and uh, we just lost to Bolton um, on the Saturday. And uh, when they said, you know, they were terminating my contract, there was there was obviously tears, there was a lot of emotion. I was losing the job I loved. I knew it was a difficult job. Uh, I knew I was under pressure, um, but it was one I was loving. My family loved living down in the area. And uh, so it was an emotional time for us. Um, so... Yeah, of course, when I look back, I made mistakes. Of course, I did. Um, I didn't get a lot of help and, and I was working under some really difficult circumstances, which I couldn't uh, divulge to the fans the full uh, amount of that. Um, but I absolutely loved it. And I wish if I could put the clock back and do it again, of course, there'd be things I'd do differently. Um, there was other things that I couldn't do any differently. I think there was some good things that came out of it. The youngsters that I gave, you know, I, I unleashed Damari Gray to the club after only two under-23s games and gave him an opportunity. I wasn't frightened to give the young players some of the exciting loan players I brought in. Um, some of the signings we made on, you know, me, me last transfer window, um, I was signing players from other clubs where we weren't even matching what they could get. Other clubs, I think me taking them to West Hills, and then taking them to St Andrews and then we'd put a foot, a bit of footage together of the passion of the fans, the city, you know, something for the ways because obviously you've got to keep the families happy of the players and that's how we, we got some of the players there. We did in the last summer because we were at a bottom three uh, playing budget and uh, so yeah, listen, but the day, the day I got relieved of my duties was very, very emotional, very sad. Um, it, it, you know, shed a tear, I'm not, not frightened to say that it was, I'd lost the job I was love, loving doing. Um, and it, it, it hit us really hard. But, you know, um, I knew, I know the, the environment I was in. And uh, difficult that the lads then went up to, to Blackburn, I think, lost. And then obviously the infamous Bournemouth game the following Saturday when I, the eight, eight goals going past them as well. Um, it was tough. So, it was, uh, yeah, as I said, I could have done things a lot better uh, in certain aspects and I could have been, things could have been different for me as well. I could have been given a bit more help, um, as I say. I think, um, I think I speak for every Birmingham fan. I think, you know, we all appreciated the circumstances, particularly more now what you had to work under. And, you know, I think as Kieran mentioned, we, we just like, you know, we loved your passion and your commitment to the club. And that definitely won't be forgotten. And as Dan said, certainly he, uh, he certainly won't forget. Um, we, won't, we all won't forget the day of Bolton. So, yeah, we appreciate, <laughs> Listen, appreciate the, the, your the, time. The, the, the tough thing and the sad thing for me is, since I've left, with the exception of Gary, who's done a terrific job after he took over from us, there's been so many managers been in there with lots more budget than me and money to spend on transfer fees for players. And the club, as I said, without with the exception of Gary, you've always unfortunately been in around the bottom six, the eight of the championship. And you look at where they are now, mm. you're hoping they can turn it round. I mean, I'm, it's it's a nightmare for me at the moment. I've got Newcastle United in the bottom six of the Premier League. I've got Fulham in the bottom three. Look like it's going to be difficult for them. Got Birmingham, fourth bottom of the championship. You've got Kilmarnock. Sleep, slipping down the table in Scotland and third bottom with the teams below them with games in hand. It's like, this shouldn't be right. I've got lockdown to contend with. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm watching all this live football and all my, all my, all my previous clubs or majority previous clubs are all in a little bit of turmoil. So, I mean, I think I'm going to have to, uh, I'm not going to get lucky with all of them. Um I fear after watching last night, I think Fulham are going to have a, it's going to be a big job for them to stay up. 
I hope they can. It'll take a miracle, I think. But uh, I think the other ones, I think obviously the Blues will be fine. Hopefully the, the signings they made will settle quickly and they can get a couple of victories to get them away. Um, we'd rather them winning. But uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, it's, it's even got us on tender hooks when I'm not involved now. All these clubs that I played for, <laughs> I worked for, that, hanging on by an knife edge. <laughs> That's what football can do to you, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I'm, I'm out of it, but I'm still not out of it. If you know what I mean. You're never out of it. <laughs> yeah, that being said, just quickly, I mean, what are, what are your plans now going forward? Do you see yourself getting back into management again, or are you just enjoying being a spectator now? No, well, it's harder. We're not a spectator anymore, but I, I did enjoy being a fan again. Um, but you know, I, certain jobs I have applied for, which I haven't got. I've been offered other ones that I wasn't interested in. So, but I do listen. It's a bug. It's it's they say it's a drug. I, I wouldn't know. I've never took a drug. So, but it it's a bug. It's certainly got you in when you've been in it. You know, since I left school, it's been my life. Um, people say, why do you want to go back into management? It's it's a crazy old business, and it is, and it's getting harder. You get less time to get results. Uh, the players have a lot of power, but you do. It's it's the next best thing to play, and it's that adrenaline rush. Got to say, I mean, what's made it a little bit easier for us at the moment because obviously there's no fans, so you know you're not there's there's not that atmosphere at the games. That would be something I would be missing. It's a long time since I've been to the game as a spectator as well. I suppose when we do get back to some kind of normality, and if I'm still out the game and the fans are allowed back in, that starts hurting again because obviously. That adrenaline rush uh, on a Saturday or whenever it is on a midweek game, getting ready for the game, the game kicking off, and you know the noise of the support as the emotion of the game is something you miss. So, if the right opportunity comes around for us, um, you know I will I will certainly like to get back into it. But um, you know other things to worry about at the moment, obviously with the pandemic and uh, just staying safe is the key for everyone now. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll we'll wrap it up there because I know obviously you've got you've got stuff to do as well. Uh, thanks again for your time. It's been brilliant to sit down and talk to you about your time at the club and, and your career as well. Thanks, guys. Keep right thanks, on. Lee. All the best. Thank you. See you, you too. Later. Nice Cheers, Lee. Speak later. Bye. Bye. That's Lee Clark there joining us for a, a Q and A. Um, thanks again Elliot and Dan for joining me on this episode as well um, you can follow us on the social medias at BTFC Media uh, keep your eyes peeled, more interviews and more podcast episodes to come very shortly, until then speak to you soon